This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy, pick of the week number 871, brought to you by Macroverse. Check out their new comic book series, Darkland, on Webtoons and on the Macroverse app. And iFanboy listeners just like you. <laughs> My name is Ryan Hampton. This is my co-host, Josh Flanagan. I'm the co-host. Wait, how can I be your co-host? You know what? I'm cool with it. You drive the boat. I'm just reading the script that was sent to me, and welcome to Diddly Squad Diddly Cast, the only show where we talk about Clarkson's Farm. Uh, season two just ended. Josh, what do you think? I'm glad that he got it done, but I'm curious to hear from the other side of the people who really didn't like him. Were they just assholes, or is there more to it? It's a fascinating question, and that's what we're going to be diving into in this week's episode, but it's also, we're co-podcasting, we're doing two podcasts at once, because this is also iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 871. Every week, one of us picks the book they liked best from their stack of comics, and we call that the Pick of the Week. Pow! Boom. And then the Mark Maron joke that comes after saying pow. I forgot about that. I know, right? We are going to talk about that book and other books from the week, The Patron Pick, and we will answer some listener mail if we have time. I sure hope we do. Here is your spoiler warning. Exercise some caution. Use just good old-fashioned common sense. This week, Josh had the pick. It was a Batman week. It was also a good week. It was it was a pretty good week. I'm not going to tell you that I was like my pick was immediate, but like I really enjoyed my comics, and I, I, I noticed that many of the books that I enjoyed happened to be Batman books. Uh, also, I was reading um, Kingdom Come because that's going to be our next book explode. Is and that so why was, Connor's not here? Because he claims the Batman books are a mess and we didn't want him here on a week where Batman was good? Well, I, I, I was like, I'm really bummed you're not going to be here this week because I think you would have really enjoyed yourself. Um, yeah. But but 
you know, he's on the, he's on the world's longest, most involved business trip. He's never coming home again, as far as I can tell. Um, he's going to be recovering next week when we do this show. So the pick of the week is Batman colon one bad day colon. I looked that up. Razal Ghul number one. Uh, this is the last of the one bad day series, as far as I understand. Uh, is written by Tom Taylor with art by Ivan Reese. Inks by Danny Mickey, who's normally a name you associate with John Romita Jr. Uh, Brad Anderson on colors and Wes Abbott on letters. But when I first wrote that, I was looking at Brad Anderson and I wrote Wes Anderson. But he does not let our comics. And if he did, there'd be far more twee than these. Anyway. And also, I think the, the color, I think Wes Anderson would be a colorist more than a letter. I guess he could be a letter or two. He's a font guy. It's hard to say. Yeah, no, to- totally. Being the typography. I mean, like, this doesn't fit with what we're doing at all. Um, I, I have... Uh, I don't think I've read all of the One Bad Days, but I I have reluctantly enjoyed the ones I have. I didn't think I would, but I I mean, the first one was the the Tom King one with Riddler. Uh, I read a couple of those that I I can't even remember, but here we are. So why are we talking about Rajal Ghul and Tom Taylor? Well, it's easy enough to know why you would like something with Tom Taylor. And uh, I think Ivan Reese was actually perfect for this. It's not a name that you normally see next to Tom Taylor. That's just not the style that usually uh, goes along with him. But uh, for this sort of, to me, this is like a throwback seventies, eighties sort of looking tale. Um, I really like that Raj Al Ghul from that time when he was very, yeah gray he was an environmentalist eco and, yeah yeah and an extremist but he wasn't a villain in exactly the same it wasn't like look at the bad guy it was a different thing and so when you go back to oh what's the name of that that um the, the one where where batman sleeps with uh the demon's head? yeah something there like you that. go demon's head something like that that's that famous story i think it's michael barr and that is my favorite rajal ghoul because it, it's he's he's sort of a demented grandfather that that Batman kind of has to put up with, and he's gotten he's all over the place in modern stuff, I think. But this to me is is like that's like roots Raj Al Ghul, and um, this to me harkens back to that. Even though this takes place in what is I feel so self conscious talking about Batman stuff without Connor here to check me. Well, but it's, I mean, it's, it's Damian Wayne Robin, yeah. so it's got to be close enough to the modern era that right. that's the current, current Robin and clearly a Robin who's been working with Bruce for, for some time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little bit of flashback. We're spending more, this is, I don't believe this is in continuity. I don't think any of them are. We're spending a little bit of time seeing where Rajoko came from when he was young and, and he had a friend who was a wolf and then the wolf dies eventually. And like, that's the last of that kind of wolf. Dude, I, legit i'm not gonna lie i legit teared up yeah like tom taylor i was a little mad at tom taylor for like making me cry over a batman book because i was i was i don't think a tear fell but i was choking him back with that scene with him and the wolf i mean there's there's he does terrible stuff in here but you're all you're you it's very easy to see his side of things yeah uh you know he basically the, the idea is that he put this massive ridiculous comic book plan into into effect over the course of like a decade or more where he had i don't I remember any like 90 companies we'll say 60 30 70, whatever. i think it was 30 oh it's 30 that makes yeah. even so and he had done all this planning and maneuvering to get people that he approved of uh in charge of these different companies if only the people who, who were running them were to get knocked off and so 
he kills them all. And, uh, you know, through, through various means of subterfuge, there can be no, uh, hints or whatever, or Batman will know. And so of course, immediately Batman figures it out. It's like secession. Yes. The Brian Cox show. Uh, fuck off. Um, (laughs) and Batman shows up with, with Damien and Damien's fully on the side of his dad. And then Raj al Ghul kills him, Batman. And you're like, Oh shit. And of course, you know, brings him back after everything's done. And the thing that got me, the thing that was, all of that was interesting. It was all, it was all fun. I think the art was perfect for what this story was, you know, like everything was my favorite Raj al Ghul outfit, you know, with the little Mm -hmm, buttons mm -hmm. and the cape and the sort of, you know, turn of the century sort of style going on there. But uh, they wake up Batman out of the Lazarus pit because, of course, he's not going to die. And all the people have been killed and like, well, what are you going to do about it? And they do the math and Batman's like, I'm not going to do anything. And I was like, wow. But but also, it also (laughs) ends with a shirtless sword fight in the snow between Batman and Roz. And that to me is classic. That to me is what evokes that. That 70s, 80s, like Batman's still wearing his his cowl, but Mm -hmm. they're both shirtless and they both got swords. Also, did you notice that um, Raz is willing to use the Lazarus pit fully nude, but Batman keeps the little the little little briefs on? Well, there was a controversy, so we don't want to take any risk of a Batman dick again, because that brings the whole line down. Both Talia and Damien are willing to fully embrace their father's where they're mostly naked and sopping wet. And I, I was just like, really? That's, that's gross. Well, at what age is that not okay? That's the uh, question. Well, Roz is 700. So maybe, I, would say, I would say 650 is maybe too Maybe you old? come around the bend eventually. It's like, <laughs> all right, I can hug him naked right. dick and all. It's there's fine. A, there's a joke to be made there that I'm not going to make. I got to say, I just flipping through this right now. The art reminds me of Neil Adams. In I can the see 70s. that. There's a bit the, where, where the expressiveness he, of the faces. Right. Yeah. And it like he when when Raj runs Batman through with a sword, mm-hmm. which by the way that drawing doesn't look right anatomy wise. Um, his hands way too far over. Anyway, the next page though is Robin screaming through mm-hmm. his mask and without tape, and that to me that's like that looks like the best of of a Neil Adams type of shot, which gives this whole thing its flavor. It always makes me think of for me a real touchstone was I got the greatest Joker stories ever told. And that included like a Joker story from every era or, you know, several from each one and the seventies and late sixties always stuck with me. And those are in my mind. That's the coolest looking of Batman stuff. And that page right there brought me directly to that. Also Uh, something I think that I think I hear you comment on a fair bit because you have, you know, children who are aging into their, their uh, themselves, like watching Damien put on the cowl and have it not quite fit. Uh-huh. And I thought that was drawn really well. Like it's got to be, I imagine as a draftsman, it has to be difficult to have a character put something on that doesn't fit. That is awesome though. And him pull, he pulls the cowl on that's too big. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I mean, everything is sort of like there's tears running down his face. There is, you know, it's, it's a ton of, it's a ton of melodrama. It's the melodrama for this that really sold it. And then the sort of last bit, which is that, you know, Batman's got a code. Batman never breaks his code or whatever, but the, like, he kind of acquiesces a little at the end. And I, I mean, thought, it's hard wow. not to, how do you not agree with Ross on this issue? Like the, 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 you know, the lion poacher at the very end where he's like, 
I I'm doing this. I'm, I'm talking to you through your walkie talkie because in your last moments, I want you to know the world will go on without you. And I'm like, fuck yeah, get him, <laughs> Like <laughs> get that poacher. Like I actually think he might've been, he probably might've been legally hunting those lines, but that's a whole other issue about how game Should parks in be? Africa are managed. Right. But, <laughs> but still like trophy, trophy hunting in general is not something I'm a huge fan of. And it seems to also, I'm not a fan of it in general. And it also seems to be done by the biggest douchebags on the yeah. planet. So, um, you know, it's like, it's really hard not to root for Raz in this one and be it like, is. yeah, he brought Batman. He bought Bruce back. Bruce can continue his quest. He, you know, and he called Bruce's bluff on whether or not killing these thirty people who are doing irreparable harm to the planet was a, really not worth pursuing. It's just, yeah, it was. It was kind of a, a perfect little story. It wasn't like so far out of of you know. It was you know you could have read this story in a in a Batman book, but it's out of continuity. And I think that works a little better. It just uh you know. It was just a really nice little comic book experience that that sort of had a little from every era. And, and it's a, a puppy at the end. That's nice. Because we like dogs. Well, sure. It's the big thing. So that is uh, that is the pick of the week. I would say that the runner-up was probably Batman Superman colon World's Finest number 13, um, which has a delightful cover. If we're going to talk about going back to an earlier time. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, the Connor's like a big Dan Mora fan. I'm a huge Dan Mora fan, and I, I really like him. But as this series goes on, I like him even more. Yeah, the cover is you know Batman Superman running running one direction across the page with a bunch of monuments in the background, you know, and the and then it's got Metamorpho doing like the the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote spinny leg <laughs> move in a in a non urban environment and. It's, it's just th- such delightful. a graphic cover, and it looks like I, I don't ever notice covers anymore. But this looks li- again; it looks like a cover from a different time. And there's so much iconography that we don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just like comic book iconography is amazing. And because comics is such a weird industry, where like like simultaneously love the past and want to get away from it as much as possible to try to do new things. And when you've got you know Mark Wade who who revels in it and can lean into it like this. And then Dan Mora, who is perfectly adapted to sort of do a little of everything. Um, it's just a really nice, uh, it, it comes together really well. It also happens that uh, with my son, uh, we had been watching, we're slow because it's hard to get him off of YouTube. Uh, we've been watching through uh, the Justice League show. Yeah. We're, we're into the second season now, but I, I can't remember if it's the beginning of the second season or the end of the first season is the Metamorpho story. Now, is it weird at the end of the Justice League episodes when Superman asks you to smash that subscribe button and click the bell? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you. We recently watched, like, the the Metamorpho episode. Good good episode. With all these characters in them. And, like, so when, is it Stag? I think it's Stag. When Stag shows up, like, I was like, he's drawn just like the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was great. That's like, it looks like like a Kirby villain. Oh yeah, like, it's an iconic it's, look. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks it looks kind of like Kirby if he were a villain. <laughs> right. That it does, also that's true. I did think <laughs> I did think that. I was like, is that? I think that's a little, little Jack it's, there. It's it's sort of like if Kirby was Norman Osborn. That's sort of the vibe. And I love I love Metamorpho. He's one of my favorite characters who never shows up in anything. He's uh, a, I mean, he's got to be a hard character to write because he can do he can do so much, but he's also so weird. Well, what's funny is that like he's Indiana Jones apparently. Mm. But he sounds like he's like a, a mook from Brooklyn in the 30s. Yeah. 
which those things don't really seem to go together, but I like it because he's really just a bunch of everything all together. I mean, and, you know, the thing is the American Museum of Natural History is in New York. It is. It's true. Um, but but he would have that mid-Atlantic out accent instead. So anyway, there's a there's a dual thing going on here where they're trying to figure out who killed Stag, Batman and Superman. Locked door and, mystery. And yeah, yeah. And super, and it's like when you look at it, it's oh, they're clearly trying to lead us to the lead us to the fact that Metamorpho killed him. And Superman goes, "Hey, Jimmy, why don't you?" Or when he's Clark, he says, "Why don't you come along with me work this angle?" Which is bullshit because he's making Jimmy do his job while he does something else. But sure. whatever. Um, and then Jimmy, you know, locks in. <laughs> Clark does, can't quiet quitting at the Daily Planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy locks in and does an amazing job, uh, and comes to the conclusion, which Perry has to agree with because it, it makes the most sense that it was in fact Bruce Wayne who was arrested. For killing Stag. Which doesn't totally make sense to me yet. <clears throat> well, that's because you know all about him. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I know Bruce Wayne's no murderer, but like, yeah, I guess if Bruce Bruce was off Batmaning at the time of the murder, then maybe he doesn't have an alibi or whatever. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it sets up an interesting premise and I'll be curious to see where it goes. I mean, I'm gonna keep reading this book for I, sure. But. I also really like the scene where Jimmy and Perry are talking about it to, to Clark and and Clark's like he can't have done this. And Perry's like, well, tell me why. Well, but also they they it's it's they're keeping it. You don't know they're talking about Bruce. You still think they're talking about Metamorpho? Yes, but but even saying that and then going back and seeing what it is, I like it even better because it's Clark can't do anything yeah. because they took his secret identity and put it back because it's so much better. And if this was that stupid not having secret identity thing, it would have been ruined. <laughs> no, I mean it's the I I think some of the most power ironically powerful Superman moments in storytelling are the moments when his powers don't serve him at all. Sure. And he's he's trapped, you know, he's stuck against uh, a situation where he can't do anything mm-hmm. even with all the power that he has because it it, you know, violates his his yeah. code or his identity or whatever. So yeah, it was great. I mean, super interesting. It was good. It was you know, it was just great all I've I've come to I mean, this was Connor's favorite series from the very beginning, and and I, like I enjoyed it, and I keep reading it. But um, did you see what point, the other front page story was on the planet no. after Bruce Wayne arrested for stag murder? Let's see. Superman warns of smoking hazard. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, a little PSA. Yeah, and he did. Know, he he warned Lois about that in the film. I don't know if that's front page news, but <laughs> <laughs> True. also the newspaper's not shaped like that. Anyway, um. I, I I really dug it. So there's two sort of Batman, at least Batman involved stories. Bat Corner. Yeah, very good time. And also, you know, out of continuity, they could just do their thing. <laughs> the next book we're going to talk about, Punisher number 10, story by Jason Alexander. They got punished, Jerry. Um, it's Jason. <laughs> it's Jason. Aaron. I, don't, I don't know what's going on with me today. <laughs> A story by Jason Aaron. Art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceta. Uh, colors by Matt Hollingsworth and letters by Corey Pettit. The, one of the things I want to talk about this book, I've been enjoying this series. Um, it, it has not worn us welcome yet. We're kind of in our second story arc at this point. He's since defeated Ares and is now like fully embodied this power set that he's gotten from the demon that controls the hand. But the one, one thing I want to talk about is, have, have you guys on the show ever discussed the the trend that has emerged where you've got an artist for the main story and then all the flashbacks are a different artist. Cause I actually think it's a fantastic trend. I mean, it's not new. I, I think the first 
modern mainstream instances I can think of of that were that um, there was a Iron Fist run yep, by Ed yeah, Brubaker yeah, and Matt David Fraction Aja. and David Aja was on it, but the flashbacks were done by somebody Spanish, else. Spanish, so it should probably be Aha. But, yeah. Um, but I just think, and it, that story, that book still feels like part of the modern era to me. Yes, it does. But that was probably, that was at least a decade ago. 10 plus years ago. I really like it as a device because it means that artists can stay better on schedule. It means that there's a really obvious visual signifier when the story switches time and place. And I just, I don't know. I really dig it. I dig getting to see two different excellent artists work on the same story in, in parallel. I think it's really cool. One of the things I think is really cool about it. And this is probably somewhat happenstance and somewhat, I mean, you give credit for good editing or whatever, and, and possibly even the colorist, um, is how the styles are are not the same. They are absolutely distinguishable from one another, but are complementary in this way. Because there's yeah, there were- times where they do this, and and I feel like Bendis used to do this a lot, where he'd bring other people in, and the art styles didn't complement each other. Mm. And you know, if you look at what Matt Hollingsworth does between the two different styles, it does not look the same. I mean, like the coloring style is different. Uh, it has texture. Uh, and 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 shadow and is giving shape to things in the sort of current storyline, mm-hmm. and it's much flatter and more uh, graphic and abstract, I guess. In the past, the the past, the past, he almost colors it to look like a Sean Phillips book more yeah. than a yeah. Whereas well, Jesus, the, the, si- so the two artists we're talking about are, are, are Jesus is who has an enormous range. It's a guy yeah. who whose name I see all the time and and I I honestly doesn't get enough credit I don't think for his do everything ability. Um and then the other the other bit is by Paul Azaceta, an artist who I love, was working on a lot of things for a while um in mainstream and then did a Kirkman book. They did a show of it on Showtime. Uh it's about is the, the guy. Demon one? Yes. I don't, forget I don't remember what it's called. What it's called either. Um, but he was over there for a long time. And from what I understand, Kirkman pays his artists pretty well. So he was loving that. And then they got the TV show it was doing really well. And so, you know, he, he showed up here and I was like, oh, this is great, which seems like such a weird choice. But his stuff is the past actual sort of street level Frank Castle with his family, which is actually stuff I've never really seen in depth. I don't know if any of us has to sort of get this. There story. was a book Connor and I talked about last time I was on the show that, that looked at some of that as well. But um, from her point of view though, from, from Maria's point of view is the part that's super interesting about that, that yep. for sure. Um, I agree with that. And I also think, um, I didn't, I don't think I, I picked up on it until more recently in the series, but like we, we I feel like, uh, it was talked about early in his career when Jason Aaron kind of came out of nowhere and blew us all away with things like the other side and, and the early issues of scalped, but you know, his, his uncle wrote full metal jacket, the book that the novel mm-hmm. or the movie was based off of. And like, I actually think we're getting some like cool, like full metal jacket level storytelling about, you know, war and Frank and the relationship between men and war. And I, I don't know, I'm not saying that like he's aping his uncle's style or anything like that. I just think he's almost getting back to his roots on things like the other side in a way that I'm enjoying and find very refreshing. I, I think one of the magical tricks here is that it's very difficult to humanize the Punisher because you if you make him sympathetic, you make him squishy, the whole thing falls apart. And there's a tightrope being walked here with these, like he's a homicidal maniac. He's trying to do it for good. He found, he found what he thinks is a righteous outlet for that. What, whatever demon is inside him, but everyone else can see that it's 
still a really bad situation. I mean, it's still completely unacceptable to someone like Captain America. So the heroes will have to oppose him, even though similar to Ra's al Ghul, like his, his cause is righteous. Theoretically, Mm -hmm. he's killing other bad people, worse people than, than, and who is he to judge, but you know, but, but the thing, the thing that's new about this series that I don't think we've seen before is, you know, Maria has been brought back to life by the magic of the hand and she's kind of hot for it. (laughs) She's kind of into it. (laughs) Well, she, I think she had to accept it. Um, and the, yeah. bullet hole, the, the bullet hole still in her body is creepy. Um, I don't know. I mean, the way, the, way she was holding that, the way she was holding the gun that he initially gave her to oh, teach her how to use it. She's like, been into it. The, the but no, thing, the no. I thought, I, thought at first, I thought there was going to be a moment where she was going to kill herself because she's found the graves mm-hmm. of her kids and all this other stuff. But like, so, so I actually was surprised by the turn it took where it's like, oh, she's not going to kill herself. She's going to embrace... She's gonna embrace Frank's mission. And, well, and there's some- definitely a thing in the in the past in the flashbacks that reminds me of uh, there's a bit in Goodfellas um, where Karen is talking about Henry, and she's like, you know, I, I, most girls, when as soon as they shot the gun, they would have run when he beats the guy across the street, mm-hmm. hits him in the face eleven times. That's a thing I don't even have to look up. Hits him eleven times, you know, and she goes, "I gotta admit, it turned me on." And this that's what's going on in here a little bit. Totally. Like she likes that power of him she's scared she's a normal person she's you know but but that's her protector that's her you know and, and she has an innate trust and love in him anyway like i said i think it's a real tightrope because this could fall apart and be dumb at any minute and one well, thing that i i have to do is i have to ignore the fact that they're trying to say that this demonic force that lives in him is literal yeah i'm choosing to see it as a as a big metaphor through the whole thing and that but, makes it work for me. But in the words of the characters from our favorite Star Wars movie, they, they, he flies now. They fly now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever. You know, also, I, you know, and I, I have to constantly remember not to take things to. It's like, it's a comic book. Make it fucking silly. Who yeah, cares? it'll he'll, he'll go back to being exactly. good old, like old street-level Frank Castle matter. at some point. He'll get his skull back and... and uh, he's, not, he's not some sort of magical sorcerer supreme. Transition! <laughs> You know, it's but it's a thing. Like I don't like the Punisher, really. But I'm, like, I'm enjoying the series, though. Exactly. You know, um, it, it is it is a Jason Aaron that I that I recognize and enjoy. There were sharks in a previous issue. I noticed when a ship yeah. sank. You know what? That only makes you love somebody more. Oh, you, you I put, love. Uh, yeah. Do you put sharks in as many comics as possible? Yes, I do. Okay. No, that's a, that's a win for me. That's a yeah, win. Totally. I want 100%. I want Jason to do. I want him to do an entire uh, miniseries on the USS Indiana. I want it. <laughs> It's a very long series of people just floating in the water. It's also a pretty good pull on my part, I thought. Yeah. But. I just I just started thinking about the scene. <laughs> I was going to say, I Jaws. thought you were going to introduce the next book, but I realized I, I led you mentally no. astray. <laughs> I was trying to remember the, the day. Like, because the starts, the quint starts with like the June, the 1945. You know. <laughs> you got been, dead days, like an old July, days. I think. Yes, Doctor Strange, number... 427 or or, as it says on this cover one uh we have now survived the death of dr strange and then the last miniseries was uh the new sorcerer supreme uh who is also of the name strange that would be his wife and now he's back and i think he's the sorcerer supreme again she gave him earth and she's the sorcerer supreme of the dark dimension right okay this book almost lost me on page two i'm not gonna lie Okay. Cause he's, cause he's like writing the sign, you know, he's like, he's like writing something in every other panel on the first page. And then on the second page, it implies that the thing he was writing was the doctor is in mm-hmm. and none of the marks he's making on the page on the first page match what's on the second page. The magic marks. I don't like it. 
I see what you're saying, but I had not noticed that. It it bothered me immediately. I almost couldn't move past it. I, on the other hand, was thinking, well, this is an interesting change in art. And I thought, oh, it's Pasquale Ferry. Yay. I love Pasquale Ferry. It's a great name. And and I think this is not entirely the, the... the style that you would associate with him It's a much finer line than we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, like he moved to digital or something like that. But I really liked how... Oh, sheesh, I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for. It's very delicate. It's very mm-hmm. flowy. It's yes. very, you know, it's ethereal. It's a sort of overuse a term. And, it, and if you look at like... Strange's face in every single panel is placid. He's just like, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's evocative of the Ditko era Strange while still feeling very modern. Yeah, or at least unique to its own thing. Which I mean as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like a retro modern thing, I guess. Um, You know, it's been a long run of Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange sort of being... Uh, you know, in our lives after sort of nobody could put a handle on him and I'm not tired of him yet. And and obviously, you know, he, they figured out a way to use him in the MCU, both, you know, in like relation to Tony Stark, but now functioning as the Tony Stark. So I think that's mm-hmm. helped, helped keep him in the comics, at least, you know, they always <coughs> want to have a series going. So that's, I don't think we're ever going to, we're not going to get a break from him until old Benny, Benny Cumberbatch is, is done with his run. Um, <laughs> Which I'm not mad at. These are good books. So through the, I mean, basically though, there. So him and Clea, and Clea has not always been involved. She's showed up, but she like became a character. She showed up for good for a while here, and they were. Were you all, a Clea guy prior to the? Like, did you have any relationship with that character prior to the re- recent stuff that Jed McKay's done? Okay, I didn't either. I, so. she, no, she had shown up at some point earlier, and that's why I knew about her. There was some. I mean, it was during Mark Wade's, like he went to hell or something like that, and she was there, and he couldn't let her go, and it was a, it was like a, um, oh, what's the, goes down into hell and brings her back up, and if she turns around, she goes back. It's from the Sandman, but also Greek myth. Um, Orpheus. It's a, it was yes, Wait. it was a little like that, uh, I think, in maybe the Mark Wade run, like way back, or possibly Jason Aaron, I forget. But no, not really. It wasn't a thing I, I really knew about. But sort of she keeps showing up and being more part of it. Now she's fully engaged in it. And what they're trying to show us here, it's interesting because the entire time she has been like, hey, she's she's doom-like. She's like, I'm the daughter of demons. I'm whatever. You know, like, I, for where I come from, we kill everything or whatever. And But they're in love with each other. And, and seemingly there's no conflict there up until this issue where there's a real bad dude and and she's like, I'm going to kill that fucker. And he's like, no, no, you can't. And then we are led to believe at the very end that somebody has killed that fucker. Um, and we wonder, oh, is this going to be the, the strain on their marriage? And then there's a backup story where it looks like the fucker was killed in a different way. <laughs> I will say the page where the fucker was killed, which is the last page of the main story, I don't believe it. I had to go back and forth. I don't think it was very clear what happened. Like because his, yeah, he kind of just explodes. Well, not even him. His chair does. Yeah, and I was like, "What are those blocks?" Well, and I, went I mean, back Josh, and, if the chair you're sitting in explodes, yeah. you probably also explode. No one wants to explode. That's what I think. And then, and this is this is this cannot be uh, overstated. Is that the backup story is drawn by Andy McDonald, and I love Andy McDonald, and I haven't seen him in years. The backup story didn't do much for me, so I'm 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 interested I'm interested to hear that you had a good experience with it. And then this weird like there's a. a <laughs> Uh, there's uh, there's a strange old hippie character from the 70s who's clearly Alan Moore. 
and Alan Moore is trying to freak out everybody with his hallucinogenic drugs, which he's going to drop over, I guess, Birmingham in England. Is that and, where Alan Moore's from? Uh, he's from North, um, not Northumberland, uh, Northampton, I believe. I don't know wh- where that is in relation to Birmingham. Um, but he looks a lot like Alan Moore to me and he's into freaking people out and he's got the whole wizard hair going on. Whatever. Like, I, I don't really care about the story, although I thought it was funny that I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Alan Moore, but I love Andy McDonald. And that that's like, that was enough for me. Jed McKay wrote it. So I was like, well, it must mean something that's worth something. A big floating ship. Do you uh, know, is, is Jed McKay a big Alan Moore guy? I don't know. I don't know who works in modern comics who's about my age, you know, or around then who isn't a big Alan Moore person. I'm just, I don't know Jed McKay as well as you might have known him. I don't, so. I don't know him at all. Well, get him I know on, that you got a show where you talk to people. Well, he's gotten my emails and has henceforth chosen not to respond to them. How are you feeling about Luke Cage's mayor of New York City? I don't. I'm. I don't need it. I don't. I, it. It has yet to do anything that you, I think could be interesting with that premise. Like, there's no Luke Cage book coming out right now. Is it like Luke Cage mayor? I don't. I'm. I. You know me. I love bureaucracy. I love politics <laughs> or whatever. Middle, middle management, Luke Cage. Yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of fun, but he. Like, I don't think that's interesting for him. It's like a way that they can try to say how capable he is and how responsible and trustworthy he is and that he does his duty or whatever, but it's not it's not adding anything to the character, I don't think. I I, I mean, I want it to be over. Like, I don't hate it, but I'm like, I hope this is over soon. Which I also thought about the, the kingpin is the mayor. It was too long. Right. But I also, yeah, but they're all, yeah. That at <laughs> least, uh, to me, I don't know, for whatever reason, that to me, like, I feel like I'm used to terrible people being in politics and mm-hmm. running things. So like that to me felt real. Whereas like a person, who, and, uh, you know, a person who's generally good, like ex machina was interesting because the guy was so yes. conflicted and, and, and wasn't, you know, wanted to do good, but like was kind of a dick. Um, whereas like Luke Cage is not a dick. Luke Cage is a good guy. So and I don't so know. Then I just haven't seen anything about... interesting done with that story yet. No, because nothing's really had. It's still just, it's, it's no different then Empire Strikes Back when Lando has to talk about running Cloud City. Yeah. There's like a bit, there's a, quick, there's a quick beat in that movie where he talks about it and then you can imagine like, oh, this guy doing that, that's funny. But that's A, Luke Cage is not as funny as Lando and B, it's been going on a long time and nothing's, ha- it just looks like, ugh, I got paperwork. That's been the entire thing. Oh, I know the black guys too. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics and history involved with that question <laughs> that I'm not willing to get into. It starts with the gangs of New York, the five boroughs mm. they were. Um, I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the five points. The other the boroughs may have been, uh, it may as well have been other countries at that point. John C. Riley had a giant cross and he was, or no wait, Liam Neeson had the cross. Somebody hit yes. somebody else with a cross and it was pretty bad. Liam Neeson but the rest of that movie was, was pretty boring. The head of the Dutch. Okay, don't. First of all, that movie's twenty years old. It's a, it's a, it's failed genius. That movie, that movie does it doesn't come together for whatever reason. But it is a beautiful disaster. I saw it twice in the theater. I've seen it many times since then. But I'm at not the end of the movie, you, it fast forwards to modern day New York City. I don't. It's fine. I I could look at it forever. I it's I love. I want to watch it right now. Just from talking about it, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work. But I don't care. This episode is brought to you by Macroverse. Check out their new comic series, Darkland, on Webtoons and the Macroverse app. 
Macroverse is proud to share their new comic book series in wide release, Darkland. Darkland is a delightfully twisted black comedy centered around the shifting alliances between the power players in Hell and the plans they have for Earth. A little bit of Game of Thrones mixed with Veep. It's twisted, funny, and provocative. It is created and written by Evan Shapiro with art by Frank Calico. Darkland is a digital comic with full episodes released bi-weekly on the Macroverse app in the proprietary tap story format, but is also released weekly in shorter episodes on Webtoons in their perpetual scroll version. The full series of Darkland will have a digital collectible release in elegant landscape format for the iPad and the web. It'll be coming in late March of 2023, which I believe is now-ish. Uh, it is followed by the trade paperback and collector's edition coming later in this year. There's many different ways to consume Darkland is what I'm hearing. Here's your chance to get involved. After the digital release in March, Macroverse will be working with fans to generate ideas for an anthology series set within the world of Darkland, which will be voted on by the community as to which will get greenlit into production as a separate release. Similar to what Macroverse did with their previous series, Dead Town, and their upcoming series called Bushido's. There's lots of cool stuff coming from Macroverse, so get on board now. Head over to their website at macroverse.com slash darkland for more info or go to Webtoons and search for Darkland. I hear about this uh, this blue book. This blue yeah. book. Yeah. What, so what I talk got about going this, on there? I talked about this in the first issue. This is um, a book from James Tinney, the Force's new Dark Horse imprint that he has. Um, onion something or other. Tiny Onion. Um, are you... <laughs> Are you familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill story? I talked about it last episode, so I don't need to get into it again. If, if uh, No, but you, if, if okay. it was heard, then it's fine. It is the first sort of UFO abduction myth in American, uh, I would say pop culture, but it was like supposedly a real historical event. I don't mm-hmm. believe it went down the way that the some of the people who... who uh, believe in that stuff, believe it went down, but this is sort of a retelling of it. You know, there were an interracial couple active in the civil rights movement in the early sixties who were driving back from vacation, uh, through, uh, they lived in New Hampshire and they were driving back to New Hampshire, uh, late at night. They didn't want to get a hotel cause they were an interracial couple in the early sixties. So they were trying to get home and then they saw a light in the sky and then they felt like they lost a bunch of time. And, um, Betty, the the white wife of the couple, was already into sort of the UFO mythology that was burgeoning at that time, and she she kind of pulled her husband along on this quest she had to prove that they've been abducted, and they sort of became the first like popularized abductees. Um, it's crazy that I've never heard that. That seems like that a thing I would have heard. heard that. Well, now you've heard it. Welcome, right. welcome, welcome to the Thank knowledge. You. Thank you very much. I um, thought that Randy Quaid was the first person to get abducted <laughs> by aliens. Uh, he's back. Uh, so I have a weird thing where I think that like if aliens actually showed up, it would legit be the scariest thing ever because if they were able to travel those distances successfully that we would not stand a chance. Right. I agree. Like, if they wanted to destroy us, it zombies, you know, you can hit a zombie with a baseball bat and it falls over vampires. Like I've always got garlic in the house, but like aliens, I can't do much. <laughs> I always assumed that, if they were Earth really bacteria sl- would infect well, the aliens. <laughs> listen, there's a lot of movies we can do this about, but I'm going to try to push. through. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I always assume that either they would be so similar to us that they'd never get here because they're similar, you know, in the, in the technology, the whatever, the physics is all too much. Or they're so different from us that they wouldn't that care. We, we wouldn't even like interact with each other. 
Yeah, so you're kind of, I mean, Solaris is the, the it's a the movie, George Clooney movie, but based off a Russian novel that sort of yeah. posits the encountering an extraterrestrial intelligence. It would be so alien. Like, we can't communicate with lions. Like, and lions are another mammal. Right. Um. So, like, how do we communicate with another intelligence? I the, the third thought I always had is we evolved from, you know, monkeys and apes who were arboreal to some extent, so tr- climbing trees. So I think we have a tendency to, like, look up about you know about stuff mm-hmm. and like wonder about what's going on above what if we had evolved from like a mole or an armadillo that's like a digger mm-hmm. like maybe our entire speed maybe the space race would have been a race to the core with aaron eckhart and stanley tucci and hillary swank they don't make it they don't make it so <laughs> so i always wonder if like, i literally all, uh, don't remember what movie that is it's called the core right it's called the core yeah, i yeah, did yeah. know they didn't make it i knew that much. but i i know i so but i always wonder like what if all the alien species out there are more interested in digging into their own planet than they are on traveling mm-hmm. to others so, yeah. but, I, but I also think like, I've, I've watched a lot of horror movies and a lot of horror movies that even posit, you know, alien uh, interactions, alien abductions. And like, some of them have good moments, but I've never found one that like scratched the whatever psychological terror that I actually have when it comes to the idea of alien encounters and alien abductions. And I kind of hope this book would be that just because I was so surprised by the closet, his previous miniseries that kind of also mm-hmm. had alien encounter vibes. And this seems to be more of a, documentary style retelling of Betty and Barney Hill's experiences uh, fictionalized somewhat, but very much leaning on Betty, the wife's interpretation of events, which she kind of dove in headfirst to being a true believer and spent sort of the rest of her life using that sort of celebrity as her. I mean, she like essentially she was on the con circuit. She was like a, a you know, mm-hmm. like the, the people that the, mm-hmm. the B and C list actors we see at comic book convention signing headshots. She was that for the alien abduction community. So does this work sort of like documentary more or less? It sort of seems like that's what he's trying to do, which I find a little less interesting than if he actually did it as a psychological horror book, which is what I was expecting. So I'm not hating this. I will keep reading it. I don't. The way that you describe it makes me like it more. Are they grays? Are these the gray aliens? This is the origin of that. Okay. part of the American. So essentially there was like, um, yes, they, the, this couple ends up, uh, Barney, the husband who's black ends up, they both end up, end up undergoing hypnosis and they're actually recordings that you can go listen to of his hypnosis of the event. And like, he was clearly disturbed by something and listening to his hypnotic, um, explanations of what happened is legitimately disturbing. Like I'm getting goosebumps talking about yeah, it. I don't think I like, can listen to that. That. Creepy. It's really, it's really creepy. Um, and so I want, I want a creepy story. I don't want like a, well, and then Betty went outside and put a magnet on the car and I'm like, okay, yeah, but like, I don't know that that actually happened. I don't know that that actually means anything. I don't know that it means aliens, but like if these two people are terrified that in the midst of their struggle for civil rights, they were also being abducted by extraterrestrial beings. That's interesting. I mean, it's hard enough being a black man in the sixties. In New Hampshire. Live free or die, I say. So, so I don't know. It's it's not a bad book. It's incredibly well done. Michael Avon Oving is killing it on the art. Um, so, I, and it's an easy read. It's a story I already know pretty well, so that might have something to do with it. And it's telling, it's retelling the story in a way that I don't think is. I think it's selling the premise that they ended up believing that they were abducted by aliens, which I don't think is true. I think the universe probably has aliens, and I just don't think they're probing us. Um, so this is not a bad book. It's actually quite interesting. It's uh, it's just not exactly the book I thought I was getting when I first when I started issue one and finished issue two. Okay, kind of want to read it. You kinda should. I would. I, I would love I to hear what you think of this as a person who wasn't familiar with the story before I gave you the quick little rundown that I did. Um, this was the short section, so I'm going to move along. Uh, yep. She Hulk one seventy four. 
uh, Rainbow your, Roll. Your interview with Rainbow was fantastic, by the way. I appreciate. It. Thank you. That was <laughs> that was great. I'm I'm a lifelong fan of hers. After talking to her, then because uh, because the conversation we had afterwards that you didn't get to hear. Well, it was the fact that you opened with like Rainbow, really, and she was like, "No, my mom named me that." So like that that to me was like that's exactly the question I needed to answer first, and now I can focus. Can I tell you something? Sure. Before we started, she was like, "Are you going to ask me about my name?" I was like, <laughs> "I was like, yes, I was." And she's like, "Okay." And I was like, "Is that okay?" She's like, "Yes." And I was like, "Okay." And then we started recording, and that's what it was. But because at the beginning, the first thing I said to her was, "Am I supposed to call you Rainbow?" And she's like, "Yes, that's my name." I was like, "Okay," but not in like a not in like a combative way. Anyway, yeah. Andre Genale, uh had been the alternate artist on her wonderful Runaways. Uh, series and I, I don't know if he's done one of these before, but he's not the the series artist no, on this. And if all of this book was was him drawing the the Fight Club scene where fantastic Titania and and She Hulk and Luke Cage and the Thing just beat on each other to let out steam, it would have been it would have been great. I mean, it was great. I'm just saying, but that was literally enough. And I just thought it was super fun. Uh, we are we are lucky to get this book uh, now, and and uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of it. But as I've said, I'm now completely biased uh, in in favor of the uh, writer. Although I would have been anyway because I've really just enjoyed so much of her work in comics. It's this is great, and I I love you know <clears throat> I love how the relationship between her and Jack of Hearts, Jonathan Hart has has developed. I love that you know. I love how much he enjoys cooking, even though his powers are back and he can't actually enjoy the food anymore. And like, I liked them trying to science out, like, is the food just deteriorating in my mouth because of all the radiation or like, what's, why can't I eat? Like they're now trying to solve the problem because yeah, now he's got that, a taste for it. But that eating is a metaphor for humanity. Oh, I know the moment, oh. the moment when they both kind of had to come to grips with what that aspect of his life and powers meant. And she puts his, her hand on his knee. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It was real. I mean, as, as much as this book has like kind of danced around the edges of being a romance book, I find myself completely invested in that. Part think, of it. I don't think it's dancing. I think it's, I think it's off to the dance hall. I think they're, they're, they're firmly in that. Uh, but with some superhero action in the middle, uh, just great. More, more great. I just, I, I, I loved, I love that artist. And, uh, I was glad to see more of it. This is another book. Um, Jen Bartel's doing the covers for this book, who is someone I followed on Twitter because I liked her art bef- before I stopped using Twitter, before she started getting good cover work. But I also really like the, I think this book has consistently really great, great covers. Cover. Yep. Cover. I mean, she's done the whole series. So go back and look through. They've all, all been great, know, but this yeah. one was too. Um, yeah. And the, it's a, it's a very modern style of cover where like it, unlike world's finest where this isn't giving anything away about the story until you start reading it and you go, Oh, that's her doing the fight club. That's cool. Well, it's like funny it. that you say it's a modern style of cover because this, these, she, the covers of this are directly influenced by the, the early nineties burn series and True. what those covers yeah, were yeah. like. So, and the, I mean, that's what she, that's the one she loved and that's what they were trying to emulate. So it's there. The matter, they're great graphic images and that's, that's the key. Why don't you talk for a little while and I'm going to not interrupt you. Go, go, Power Corner! Uh, it's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 106, story by Melissa Flores, uh, illustrated by Simona Di Gianfelice, uh, colored by Raul Angulo, and lettered by Ook Ed Dukeshire from uh, Once in Future fame. Um, and this series has continued to just be really solid. I was a little worried when Ryan Parrott left. I think I've said that before, but it's continued to be great. And Josh, I'm not kidding. 
laugh at me all you want. There is a final page reveal in this issue. And I, I legitimately gasped. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I have sort of, I think we, I, you know, anybody who can read between the lines of me being on the show and our conversations about this, I think gets that like part of the power Rangers thing is a bit, um, but I've been reading the book long enough to annoy you and Connor that I'm now kind of invested. <laughs> I like that. I like that they won you over. But you were, I mean, like, like the, the, the center of this is like, this was your thing at a certain when point I was a kid. in your yeah, childhood. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I like, would I'm say. I'm going to be able to sit here and be like, that's dumb after I know every single thing about the G.I. Joe animated series. I mean. No, but that's, that's your right as an elder statesman of nerd culture. And, sure. and I'm, you know, the young up and comer and um, young. And um, well, what's, <laughs> what's funny, because this really comes to the fact is when this came out, I was what? 15 16 yeah. or whatever way or, too old yeah yeah and i was which of course at that age i would have gone that's stupid for babies because i had no perspective whatsoever but i don't want to ruin the bit so and i would say that i would say that like where they're at you know they're kind of like the the characters that we're following now and the zords they're using and the suits they have are, are like i would say we are on the tail edge of when I kind of stopped watching the show. So if it keeps moving forward, we might soon reach a point where I don't know any of the characters or any of the, the Zords and I might lose interest. But this book ended, spoiler warning for anybody who has not had yet had a chance to read the issue, Zed gets a fucking morpher. And so now he is morphed into his own Zed version of being a ranger. And I, I gasped, I was like, holy shit, Zed's got a morpher. The Power Rangers might truly be fucked this time. I just want to shove you in a locker right These now. These rad teens with attitude. I call it ratitude. They might finally <laughs> have met their match. <laughs> All right. Well, those are the books that we wanted to talk about. And this is the thing Connor says, so I don't get it wrong. But if you are a patron uh, of any of any stripe, of any value, I'm not wow. saying you're valuable or not. You really then, are going to do this uh, wrong. You can vote. I, I decided not to try to do it. You can vote on the patron pick, which is a book that we... Uh, your your hosts must read. We must read. We must discuss it, and we must rate it. And the pick this week was Dead Romans number one from Image Comics, uh, Shadowline specifically. That's uh, that's uh, Jim Valentino's little corner uh, where he hires people all the time who I've never heard their names in any way. This story is by Fred Kennedy and Nick Marinkovich. Um, Dead Romans is is fairly literal in this sense. I loved this. It would have been in my running for pick of the week if I'd had the pick. Really? Yeah, I thought this was fantastic. I really, really wanted to like it. And you and I, I are both people who watched the show Rome from start to finish yes. and still quote it from time to time at each other. Multiple. I've, I've watched through it multiple times. I mean, Titus I, I Pullover. Pullover. I liked Pullover. Pullover. Pullo. <laughs> it's Pullo. He's got a, he's got a hoodie on. <laughs> they didn't have hoodies then. Um... I still see actors and stuff. I'm like, why do I know that person? It's always wrong. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I got a little lost in it. I think that it so looked very beautiful, but there was a bit where I, I had a, I had a real moment in this and we can explain what it is in a second, but I mean, it, I mean, just at the base, it is a story of, I don't know exactly what year we're looking at, but the Roman legions are, oh, they said in, it was the year. It was the 36th year of the reign of Augustus. Well, I'll explain Roman numbers to you after the show. It's fine. Right. So does that mean 36 AD? No, because that's Jesus. No. But, like Julius Caesar was like a thousand years before. No, he wasn't. He no. was that much before Jesus. He was in like the, I think he was in like the tens of years before Jesus. Okay. Well, we're doing way, the show in March. We should know. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> we just missed it. Um, 
So we're in Germania. The 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 Roman legions are trying to conquer the the barbarian hordes uh, and and whoa, make something whoa, of whoa. this. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Those are my ancestors you're talking about, buddy. Barbarian hordes. This is all a matter the of perspective. The Teutonic tribes who are rightly fighting for their independence against an oppressive empire. Thank you. Sure, the Franks. Um, hey, those are the Gauls. These are the German. These are the Germans. Whatever. You're all savages up there. Actually, I'm not a part of any of this. I'm just I was gonna say, Celts. yeah. Where are you coming from, Celt boy? Or nowhere. Um. And and there's so there's a story about some sort of Roman leader, and he is desperately in love with a slave girl who's who one of the, who yeah who one of the other Roman soldiers owns, and I guess the guy's either a king, he's very high up. It's, just, it's sort of unclear. And then we cut to some battle scenes, and I was completely lost in who was fighting and why because it seemed like every single per- they were talking about fighting each other everyone they were talking about looked like a roman yep. and the the main character here this one who's in love with the girl that scene was really written beautifully arminius he he's indistinguishable in his armor from the other person they're talking about right and, and then it, it also he also like seems to switch sides at some point but yes. it seems like he was always on the other side but we just didn't realize that so yeah there were storytelling issues i still thought this was beautiful a beautiful well, see, there's a bit book. where I was reading through it and I thought, wait, I'm lost. And I had two thoughts. As a person on this show, I thought, well, it's the patron pick. Do I go back and try to understand it or do I say this lost me and it's not my fault? But I want to give the benefit of the uh, – I, I, I can screw up. So I gave the benefit of the doubt to the creators and I went back through and it didn't help at all. I can and see that. I can see that. I I really it, it's it seems to be a historical um story that has as far as I can tell no supernatural bent. It is about Romans, you know, going into mainland Europe and and conquering and and that is my fucking jam and it is right? beautiful. It is It's really absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. However, I believe that the stylism and the beauty of the art is not helping tell the story. And that is, that is a, that is there, not- there have been books like that in my comic book reading life that like I have fond memories for, and I could not tell you a, a, a hot, like I couldn't tell you anything about what they were about. So like mm-hmm. there was this series from the mid two thousands called Raketo. Um, <sighs> Do you Vaguely remember what I'm talking familiar. about? But, I yeah, mean, like, but like it won, like it was nominated for multiple Eisner Awards, and it was gorgeous, and I had no clue what was going on ever. But I still just kind of drank it in because I was like, I don't, I don't know, but I also don't care because I'm just enjoying the art and soaking it in. Yeah, and I guess that's okay. But to me, that's that's a failure of the form. And since I don't know who these people are, right? I have to that's, assume that's the that, elephant in the room. That this, you know, there's somebody is new at this. Like there's skills. Assume here. There's that there's clearly skill here. Yeah, there's something amateur about the effort if we as experienced readers are having a hard time understanding the story being told. Right. And That's and there saying. is a thing where sometimes you need to give up some of that aesthetic beauty in service of storytelling. If your beauty is making it harder to read and understand, then you're doing it for no reason. And that's what got me here. And so I really, really wanted to like it, and I did like parts of it, but ultimately, I can't. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know who I'm looking at. It yeah. looks cool, but it's like looking at paintings. Like there's a story in there, but I may as well be making it up. Well, I they, didn't. They was, say was the, the 
girl captured? Was she killed? No. There was a page here where – so uh, here, this is a really good example. So this first scene is uh, there the, – the guy and the woman are in their love nest and he's professing all this stuff to her. And then there's she, – she's dressed and then, then they're having sex. But there's a sort of – are they on this train cart or is that happening at a different time? Then the 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 carriage is attacked by somebody, and it says Germans. And then she falls. Like none of that. Like you can't. If you go through this and look at it, it doesn't make sense. We talked about the flashback in Punisher earlier, and how they found mm-hmm. a way to denote that and say that it was yeah. happening. There's nothing here for this time jump. I think it time jumps. Like it. I think needed, it does too. It needed somebody to be like, none of this is fucking clear. Before you digitally paint this and make it absolutely beautifully rendered, you got to work on your layouts. You have to tell the story because you're not doing it. The main character and then the other guy who owns the woman cannot look exactly alike. They can't look exactly like without their armor. They can't look exactly like with their armor. And I know right now that if you're the artist or whatever and you're listening to this, you're like, they don't look the same. They fucking well do because I can't tell the difference. And I read a lot of comic books. And I didn't read it lazily. I'm annoyed because I really want to like it. <laughs> can you tell? And I and I did and I did like it. And can I can I make one other point? Um, Please. I would like to get back. Uh, and I would like to bring back the style of greeting, uh, greeting each other with hail. I would like to join this podcast and say, hail Josh Flanagan. Salve Ryan. <laughs> I just think it's a fun, it's just a fun way to say hello to somebody. Well, yeah, but eventually it morphs into Heil and I'm not doing that. Mm, well, it is there in Germany. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess maybe be, uh, th- I think I'm more fascinated by the question, are you sticking with it? than I am your ratings right now, if I'm being honest. Um, all right. So I'll start with that. Do you give them a second issue to, to make right on some of their mistakes? Yeah. I mean, uh, theoretically they should get better. And and I would, I would would point to, um, uh, the Texas book. Why can't I remember anything? That Texas blood, that Texas blood, you know, little shaky at first. And then it came together into I, one of my favorite books. Can I tell you that Connor confused me? I'm going to blame Connor on this. I Easy, kept looking. Here. I kept looking for a book called Two Dead Romans because this was ahead by two votes on the patron <laughs> voting. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like a great. That's a great title. That's a better title than one. Well, because I was also I was also thinking about Kieran Gillen did that series three. Yeah. That was like yeah, sort of his take great. on 300. It was great. It was great. So I was kind of associating. I think I was associating Greco-Roman down to earth stories. I think I associate them with numbers because you have 300, mm-hmm. you have three. So I was like, okay, two dead Romans. We're working our way towards one. Um, so two I was dead Romans two dead sounds Romans. Like, a, like a historical comedy. And I would 100% be down with that. It sounds like something from Life of Brian. Yeah. Oh, it is. What have the Romans done for us? Aqueducts. Well, of course they've done the aqueducts, but off of that, what have they done? <laughs> I'm also sticking with this. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I think some of the, some of the storytelling issues, I had them as well. I just, they didn't get under my skin um, to the same extent. And so I'm looking forward to seeing if I can suss out more of what's going on in an issue two and beyond. I'm trying to enjoy you. This is like one of those shows that is a great show, but it's too fucking dark and you can't tell what's going on. <laughs> It's just, it's an HBO show. Uh, so we need to give it a number because that is the way of things around here. This is the way. I'm giving it a four. Two and a half. Yeah. Like they, lo- they lose half 
for the inability to tell a story, but they get the other half for being interesting enough and 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 you know aesthetically beautiful enough. Storytelling aside, that it, like it's a it's a gorgeous book. They just got my my number might be a little artificially inflated because I just had a good time reading comics this week. So that's I'm just fair. Feeling that's good absolutely about fair. I, I had a I had a really I've had a really stressful like two ish plus years, not weeks at work. Um, so I just, I just really needed to like lie down on the couch after having some dinner and just sip a little whiskey and read my comics. And I just really enjoyed most of my books this, this week. There were a lot I'm of books that, that didn't make the list. I always, th- I always have this idea in my head that when you're going to do this show, we're just forcing you to frog march through comics. No, sure no. It feels like I mean, that some week. I could have talked about deceased. I could have talked about Joe fix it. I could have talked about nightwing. Like I just had good time reading you're comics. Right. It was good. I'm, I'm glad I, I did too. I enjoyed my books this week. I've found, I finally figured out a system so that I don't necessarily have to mainline them all in one night. Um, good. somewhat, somewhat to the benefit of my position, but, I need to. If you like hearing us talk about comics, you might also like becoming a patron at patreon.com slash iFanboy, where you can directly support the show. We unlock all kinds of different content. It gives us all more to do and more to talk about. Uh, Revamped Patreon part one, new stretch goals. They're getting rid of stretch goals. So we'll be working on implementing new stretch goals. I have nothing to do with that process. So leave, don't, don't come to me with your, your suggestions, people. Um, iFanboy.threadless.com is where you can get 12 t-shirt designs and more, including the newest design. Gosh, uh, of which there was a fair bit this week, even though we didn't refer to it directly. Um, direct Tons. support can go <laughs> can go to ifanboy.com slash support where you can donate through PayPal, throw some coins in the tip jar, and then you can also buy things ifanboy.com slash Amazon, as well as bookshop.org, which is a website that supports uh, nonprofit, and, or not nonprofit, but independent booksellers, local bookstores, the places you ought to be supporting. They're probably not. They're probably not registered as nonprofits, but they might not be making one if we don't support them through places like Bookshop.org. But maybe you know you might have a superpower where you can make a profit as a nonprofit, and if you had such a power, it might be bestowed upon you in the segment that is coming up, where every week we thank a patron who has supported us at the five dollar or higher level at Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy by giving them a quote-unquote dumb end quotes superpower. And this week, Josh is going to bestow the power. Michael. Here we go. Odajewski? Odajewski. I love that. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. it. That was I great. I actually, I think I practiced it when I wrote it down. I was like, and then I forgot. Uh, all right, ready? This is going to sound mundane. But Michael gets all of his work done with no problems, distractions, or anxiety, and then he gets on with his life. Wait, say that one more time. That was so Michael, profound, I lost the thread of it. He gets all of his work done. Like he's oh got God. a bunch of work to do. He does all yeah. of it. There's no real problem. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't feel anxious about whether it's good or not. He just does his work with the with the skill that he has, and then he gets on with his life. There was a power I gave out early in my power giving um, p- period that was like whenever that that person writes an email, they're like the content intention of the email is understood with no further questions. And I feel like <laughs> these two guys, if they if they teamed up. If they teamed up, they would be unstoppable. Yeah, that's an incredible power. Because have you like have you read any of there's like there's like you know the scientists, not me, but other scientists have studied the fact that like we have a sort of a set amount of willpower every day. Uh It's sort of like if at the end of the day the Jedi like a Jedi couldn't quite force pull something across the room because they're a little tired at the end of the day. Sure, there's like a set amount of willpower we all have, but it sounds like Michael is able to tap into a source of willpower external to his own internal willpower and get all the stuff done. He just has enough. 
and he's yeah, not wasting incredible. that energy on anything <clears throat> else. He he, what he does is he goes, oh, this is my job. I have to do these things, and then does them. Uh, so there's his power. Uh, we we Great have power. we have one question that we're gonna do. It's probably from our most prolific and and maybe best question writer, Ken from the Great White North. I think I think of questions to send to you guys, and I'm like, oh, that's dumb. I shouldn't send. Should I send in questions when I think of them? Is that weird? You have to send them as someone else. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I can't I know can it's s- from you. No, it's fair. That's that's a that's an excellent. <laughs> that's I, would, a, <laughs> I wouldn't know at the end because it'd be like Steve from Cincinnati writes in. <laughs> when you which, think of the tree sloth, which, which actually of- comes back as like it has it has an extra paragraph or two about unrelated <laughs> evolutionary problems with like with like a large addendum of like like considering chili styles i think there's a case to be made for cincinnati style chili yeah while unconventional in many respects i think you know okay yeah i see your point thank you for okay. that thank you for that advice i will i feel I will, like i could suss that out i would for, i will forward my questions through a third party from now on ken asks, what writer or artist would you say is the biggest reason you got into comics and why? Whether it was a certain issue, a particular storyline, etc. Mine was Jim Aparo. Um, now, I've talked about this for me uh, before. I, I always say that uh, Amazing Spider-Man 315, 16, the, the, the Todd McFarlane era was, was a real uh, mindfuck for me. You know, I, uh, oh, this is like, this is totally a deal. There was... Um, there was also I'm I'm saying it quickly so I get to give you room for it. Sure. Um, John Buscema on um, how to draw comics the Marvel way uh, was a really big deal because I I read that thing all the time and I, and I it taught me how to sort of appreciate the art a little bit. And so when it came back, I came to reading comics for real the first time. Uh, John Buscema was the artist on Chris Claremont's Wolverine series, which is one of the first things I also read. And so that was my like, oh, I recognize this name, and I I learned about his drawing. So that pulled me in. Um, and then actually at the same time, Jim Aparo was on Batman, which is one of the other things I started reading at that point. And then John Byrne in that same sort of era. That, that would be mine. And they were, they were all artists. They weren't writers. I didn't really learn the writers until a little later. Um, yeah. And like I read comics as a very, like a very little kid, like literally whatever, you know, there was, I think I've said this on the show before, but the bookstore I used to go to um, a lot as a kid had like, uh, you, you know, like a paper bag, you know, it's got six or seven comics in it and it's three bucks and you buy it and you get whatever you get. And so, so I got these random smatterings of comics and I read them over and over again, but like, I was not aware of who was writing them or who was drawing them. I think it was also Todd McFarlane era Spider-Man. Cause I'm a little younger than you. Um, when I was old enough to actually recognize that there was like a distinct writer, a distinct artist and distinct styles of those two things was closer to high school. Mm-hmm. And so my answer is actually pretty clear on this. It's, um, Brian Michael Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man and Mark Miller doing Superman Red Sun. Those are are the two books that got me into reading comics regularly um, in the the fashion that I have not ever quit since up to, you know, today. So that's that's interesting because that would sort of be like when I was became a more informed reader, which would have been more like towards the end of my college. You know, like like the like that. What I was just talking about, I was about eleven. You know, and I I read comics for a couple of years, and then got out for a while, and then met Connor and started again. I mean, then we talking about Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Kurt Busiek. That's those are. I those was are I was I was with Ron, um, who uh, at Isotope when they were doing there was a Mark Miller Tony Harris event they did because remember that book yeah. they did that one issue we got and then a television or movie deal got sold. And then we never saw either the book nor the, the adaptation ever again. 
was like sold, about right. It was like soldiers with superpowers or something. I don't remember the name. Of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I met I met them both at an event. I like Tony Harris fine, but um, you know, Mark Miller was who I was really excited to meet. And like, I definitely had one of those moments of like Ron saying like Ryan, you're shaking his hand too long because I was telling him all about how like mm-hmm. you know you're the reason I, I still read comics today. And remember that some was you know I I I, I, know. I had the moment where I couldn't. I've, I've met Bendis too, and that did not happen with Bendis. Sure, <laughs> but but you know. Um, and I've also met Mark Bagley and uh, super didn't happen with Mark Bagley because, well, I'll tell you about that offline, well, he, but um, he, never, he never stopped drawing. No, he did not. Um, so I think we, we talked to the same Mark Bagley for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I and, I've, and you know what? And Dave Johnson, who did uh, the Reverend Dave Johnson, who did Superman Red Sun, I've actually hung out with him socially and didn't geek out over him. But he's also an awesome dude. He's an awesome artist. And, and like, he's amazing. He's a he legend. Um, Deserving of the title of Reverend, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so yeah, those are the two, those are the two series on the Marvel side and the DC side that got me back into reading comics regularly. And I, I would not have been able to tell you for probably the first hundred issues of Ultimate Spider-Man that it was written by a guy named Byron Michael Bendis. But I remember, you know, Marvel's website in the early days had some like very, you know, pieced together e-reader de- functionality where I was able to read like the first couple issues of Ultimate Spider-Man on my computer using my, you know, dial-up modem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the the local books a million which was our bookstore that we had in town and found a collected edition of like oh my gosh this is the first like six issues of that that's amazing and i bought that and that and i was off to the races if you would like to write in and send us a message that's contact at ifanboy.com if it's a media explode question for our other show which is a non-comic show you should put media explode in the subject so that we know to separate it from those things uh if you're ryan you're going to have to create a new account uh somewhere else to send us questions but i feel like we're gonna know uh, because if it's a good question, that means it's going to involve your thought process, and you have a very unique thought process. <laughs> um, thank you. There's a lot of shows going on right now. I don't know if I have this order right, but here's what you can look for. This past week, there was a show on Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Uh, I volunteered myself to be on that show, only to find out it had already been recorded. Um, but I did see the film, and since I'm not on that show, I'll tell you this: I enjoyed it. I don't think it was great. But I really had a fun time seeing it. I was like, oh, superheroes. This is great. Uh, it's, it's also the only time that DC has put together two movies in a row that were passable, that were related <laughs> to one another. Um, wow. Shots fired. <laughs> I mean, you could say Batman Begins and the Dark Knight Returns, but that's a different thing, I think. No, that's not part of the DCEU. You can find my talk explode with Ryan North. Hey, I know that guy. Yeah, Ryan North. Actually, yeah, you've had him on your show. I, Many, I, mul- multiple times I've met yeah. him in person. He's a, he's taller than me, which is upsetting. Uh, sure. But he's from Canada, so I guess that makes sense. Um, can I, can I, I have a quick Ryan North thing. Okay. First of all, he's Manly Ryan. Uh, we, have, we have a shared group of friends who have so many Ryans in their lives that they name all the different Ryans. Sure. Um, also, it didn't come up in your interview, but I would encourage everyone who's still on Twitter or has a Twitter account to look up the time that Ryan North fell in a hole and could not get out yeah. and tweeted his way through the saga. Cause it's frankly, it's one of the greatest stories ever told. I did read through that before I talked to him, but I did not bring it up because it was not germane to the situation. It, you, it, that was also a great conversation, but Ryan North's also a delightful person. So it's hard not he to have is, a good conversation I, I, with he him. Was, and I say this with respect to everybody else I've ever talked to. I was like, Oh, he's much more intelligent than I am. And that doesn't happen a ton. But he's so nice. He's totally nice. And he was really nice. But I was like, oh, I'm struggling to keep up with him. Like in a good way. I yeah, find he's that he's got a very... master's in computational linguistics. Yeah, no, he's I was like, oh, boy, 
Uh, normally, I can, normally I can charm my way through anything, but I was like, I really have to pay attention here. Uh, there is a media explode that came out recently where we talked about The Last of Us uh, and, and the first season of Star Wars Andor. Uh, we are looking forward to Booksplode with Kingdom Come is coming out. I've almost finished reading it. We'll be recording it this week, and so it should be out this coming week. Uh, there is a, a, a animated show or movie called Batman: The Doom that came to Gotham that yeah. may be coming out at some point soon. As I said, Connor it's is a on... sequel to the um, the the Gotham by Gaslight. Oh, cool! Uh, Connor's on the work trip from hell, so when he gets back to it, he's going to have to spend a little time getting up. But that'll be literally as soon as it can be done. You will you'll have that in your hot little hands. Um, take us out. You can find our library of over 1,200, that's right, count them up, 1,200 shows and counting over at ifanboy.com or wherever podcasts are sold for money and profit. Follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out and sometimes for the latest best of the week in panels, which is super fun. A little segment that Connor mostly does that I wish I contributed more to. (laughs) Follow us individually. I am at CS Kilpatrick on Instagram, but I'm also at Ryan uh, helped on Instagram. A lot of people don't know I run Connor's Instagram. Yeah. So, and uh, Josh is at J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. So that's fun, too. I have a boo-boo. That's what was on my Instagram today. <laughs> Do you know what I did? I, ha- I, got, I got a new serrated knife. Ooh, because fun. the good folks at Vustoff have a lifetime warranty and mine sure. chipped all, so I got a new one in. Oh, you mean I, the Germans that you were you were uh, denigrating earlier in the show? Listen, there's two sides to every coin. Um, and uh, I decided it would be a good idea to cut a clove of garlic in half without using a cutting board. Just With a serrated quick. knife? I just It was right there, and I just needed to cut it in half. And it wasn't like a big deal, and that fucker dug in. And it dug in hard, and it hurts right now. I spent a long time trying to button the sleeve of my shirt today. That's like what happened on Clarkson's Farm Season 2, the thing that we're also here to discuss. I did reference that. Uh, (laughs) You can subscribe to YouTube.com slash iFanboy. You're going to find all of our old video shows there. We post this show there every week. Uh, You can subscribe to that if you want to. I I could care less. Please consider Hit that subscribe button. Ring that bell. Please consider writing us a review. Or leaving a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever those those profit and or nonprofit podcasts most nonprofit. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ryan, uh, for coming here. I'm Thanks for having the me. last one who says their name, but I'm going to be Josh, and that that leaves one person. I guess that would make me Ryan. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Drive fast and take chances. Yes. Yes. In the world. Who's a day? Who's a night? Go pack your bags, take up your sight. I said this world wasn't meant for us both.